Daniel chapter 10. Let's read the whole chapter together, okay? 21 verses. Let's read the whole chapter together before we get into it. Daniel 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz, his body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronzed in color, the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourselves before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, and then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. And I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you, be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? Now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. When I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. 
But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Man, what a chapter, right? Some people look at the world this way. Some people look at the world and they only believe what they can see. It's the only thing they accept as being real or true, what they can see. So within their worldview, the possibility of something unseen, if it's unseen, then it's not real. Modern, sophisticated minds, why, you know, we've evolved to a point to where we don't have to believe the unseen. The unseen superstition, myth, fairy tale kind of stuff, stories we tell our children. But that kind of stuff is not real. The only thing that's real is what I can see, what I can feel, what I can taste, what I can hear, what I can see. And that's the only thing that some people accept as being real. That's not the case with a Christian. It's not the case within the Christian worldview, because within the Christian worldview as believers, we understand the unseen is just as real as the seen. There is a heaven. I've never seen it. I've read about it. But I know there is a heaven. And I know the people that I have loved, and I know the people that love the Lord have gone there and are there. I can't see it, but it's as real as if we're sitting here today and I'm standing before you. So as Christians, we, we understand the unseen is just as real as the seen. I mean, think about it just for a second. Have, have any of us ever seen God? Have we ever seen Christ? I read about Him. But I believe He died. I believe He lived. I believe He died. I believe He was buried. I believe He was raised from the third day. I believe He ascended into heaven. I believe that He's seated at the right hand of God the Father right this very second. Just as sure as I'm standing before you, He is there. He is there. In fact, as a Christian, most of what we see in this world, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, there about verse 17, most of what we see is passing away. So what I don't see when I think of God and heaven and things like that, and in one sense, is even more real than what I do actually see that's passing away. You see, but some people flip that on its head, and they say, no, 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 we only believe what we can see. The sad reality is that most, some Christians, live their lives as if the unseen really doesn't exist. I mean, that's the sad reality. We read about it, and if he were to say, do you believe it? Yeah, we believe it, but yet we go and we live... And we come together on church, you know, on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, and we worship and we say this and we're kind of warmed by it and we have great thoughts about it. But then comes Monday and we just live as if it doesn't exist. So people call this practical atheism. We don't, we, we believe God's there, but yet we live as if he's not. We believe the unseen's real, but yet we live as if it's not. Strange thing. Strange thing. Now, granted, there needs to be balance. We don't see demons behind every bush. 
I don't live now and so much into the unseen that I become useless now. I don't do that. We need a balance because I still have to live. I have to get up tomorrow. I have to live. I have to function in this world and deal with what I see. Okay? It's easy when it's good, though. It's easy when things are going good. It's easy to live this way. But will I trust God even when everything that I see contradicts everything that I believe is good and righteous? Will I still trust Him? Even though the seen seems to contradict the unseen. That's where Daniel is. In fact, that's where Daniel's been. This is the thrust of Daniel. You know, we've talked about dare to be a Daniel. Yeah, do we dare to trust God as Daniel has? Even when what Daniel is seeing right before him contradicts sometimes what he's been taught, what he's read, and what he's being told. And yet there's Daniel still trusting, still living, still faithful, still going, still plugging along there. The world is full of beauty, is it? It is full of beauty, but it is full of pain and sorrow, and it's full of horrors as well. It is. We have to see it, and we deal with it, and we live in it. And if we didn't believe in the unseen, then we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we what? Die. And that's it. But that's not the way it is for the Christian. Here's the reality. For us as believers, as we look and understand the Bible, live our lives in the Christian worldview, try to live out the gospel, here's the reality. The ultimate power struggle that's going on, the ultimate power struggle, and I use the word struggle, it's really not a struggle. God's won. Christ has won. Christ has defeated the forces of evil. It's just playing out, and it just hadn't been fully realized yet, but, but He has won the battle. So the ultimate power struggle is fought out in a world that most people aren't aware even exist. That's where the real power struggle is going on. We'll see this with Paul in a little bit. Well, here we go with Daniel. In Daniel 10, we're going to see again with Daniel, there's, there's two characteristics about him. There's something about his character in spite of his circumstances There's something about his character that just shines through. And at the bottom of this is an unshakable faith and confidence in God and God's truth. And his truth. Daniel 10, 11, and 12 are one section. The actual vision is not until Daniel 11. Daniel 10 is the preparation for the vision. What a preparation it is. And then comes the actual vision, Daniel 11, which he's going to deal with a period of history that we've already seen, or that he's already talked about that's about to come. And then you get to chapter 12, and then you see the final victory. So Daniel 10, 11, and 12, it's one section here. Most of these visions have unfolded in one chapter, yet this one's going to unfold over three chapters. And what we see of Daniel, something of his character, we see again his humility, his devotion to prayer. We also see his his strength and conflict and turmoil. So let's look at it, chapter 10, verse 1. His humility and his prayer. He says in verse 1, In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, 
Now let me give you, just, let's go back just real quick because you need to put this in the historical context. Cyrus is the Persian king who defeated the Babylonians. Remember, Daniel's taken captive into Babylon by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar. Then the Persians rise, and this is part of some of the visions that he's already seen. And so the Persians arise, and Cyrus defeats the Babylonians. So in the third year of Cyrus, we're looking at about 535, 534 B.C., sometime around then. Now, here's the other connection we, didn't, we need to make historically. Because when you read Ezra, when you read the account of Ezra leading the people back that Jeremiah talked about, there's 70 years, and after the 70 years of captivity, then you're going to go home and you're going to rebuild Jerusalem. The 70 years are up now. In fact, at this, this historical marker that Daniel gives, in the third year of Cyrus, they went back in the first year of Cyrus. So they have been back in Jerusalem now about two years by the time we get to Daniel chapter 10. The 70 years are over. They have gone back. They've started the work in rebuilding the temple under Ezra and Zerubbabel. And there was problems and conflict and so forth. In fact, when they got started, there was so much conflict from those natives that they finally threw their hands up and said, we're not going to work anymore. We can't do anything. And there was a 15-year lull in which they did nothing. And then God raised up the prophet Haggai. Haggai comes on the scene and says, guys, get busy again. It's time to get busy. You're living in your houses and the house of God is laid in ruins. Get busy again. Don't despise the day of small things. So they get busy. They finish the temple. Then along comes Nehemiah. The wall's built and so forth. Now here's the question. As I read this, I'm thinking, why is, not, why is Daniel, why is he not in Jerusalem with them? It doesn't tell us. Daniel gives us no hint why he did not go back in the restoration. So we're left to assume that Daniel, somehow Daniel must have discerned that God wanted him to stay. Wanted him to stay. So in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel. This comes from God. Daniel didn't think this up whose name was called Belshazzar. We haven't seen the, the Babylonian name since chapter 5. It's the only time the Babylonian name appears in the second half of the book. So he receives this message, and notice what he says. The message was true. It came from God. God's word's true. Mark it down. Whatever God says is true. It's going to happen. But the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Why is he mourning? He doesn't really tell us. Maybe he's gotten word that the work has stopped. I don't know. But some, something about where he's at mentally, he is mourning. It may be that when, when he says, I understood the message and that this message was plain, he understood the vision, maybe it's like the prophet Habakkuk. When Habakkuk received the message from God about what was going to happen, the Babylonians were going to come in and destroy Jerusalem before all this, before Daniel, and Habakkuk says, Habakkuk starts this way, the burden of Habakkuk. It may be that God's word was so burdensome to Daniel. I don't know. He doesn't tell us. Why is he not with him? I don't know. 
Why is he mourning here? Mourning full three weeks, mourning to the point he says, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. I don't know. He's in mourning. He's in turmoil. He's in inner turmoil here. Wait a minute. I mean, we read in the Psalms, and the Psalms talks about the restoration, and when the restoration happens, and when they go back, there are Psalms of David that said it should be a time of rejoicing. But there's something troubling Daniel here. He goes on in verse 4 and he says, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man, a man clothed in linen, this priestly garment. Now I want you to listen very closely to this description. Whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz, his body was like beryl, his face an appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now this sounds similar to John's vision of Christ In Revelation chapter 1. I mean if you look at that vision. When John sees this vision. This revelation of Christ. And they're starting about verse 12 of chapter 1. It sounds similar. And some have said. That's who this is. This is what is known as a pre-incarnate. Or an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And he appears to Daniel. Maybe. Maybe it doesn't tell us that. But that may very well be the case here. He's in turmoil, Christ appears to him. It could be that it's just Gabriel. could be Gabriel. It could be Gabriel who then picks up in verse 7 when he says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. You remember when Paul was knocked to his flat on his face in Acts chapter 9? Remember he saw the bright light and he's knocked to his face. The people that were with him did not see it. But they were scared to death because they knew something happened. Same thing here. Daniel says, I alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them. They were scared to death. Something happened. Something appeared. So that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. And no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me. And I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words. I was in a deep sleep on my face. With my face to the ground. In other words Daniel is completely humbled here. We've seen this characteristic of Daniel before. You remember his great prayer in chapter 9. That the humility of that prayer and praying and saying to God, we have sinned and identifying so with this people. We have sinned. This, this great humility, this humbleness about Daniel, it shines through again here. Also, just a side note. They knew something came and they knew it wasn't earthly. They knew it wasn't of this world. When God appears, every time we see in Scripture, when God appears and God shows up, it's not high fives and joke time. When God shows up, we fall flat on our face. Because He is not of this world. He is otherworldly. And we're not that familiar with that. Well, it continues. We see 
Here, verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me. Notice this turmoil, he's, he's no strength. Suddenly a hand touched me. It's made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. We saw this in chapter 9 where he was described as a man loved by God, greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. You remember Moses in Exodus trembling at the presence of God, receiving the law of God. You remember I mentioned Christ in Revelation 1. When John sees that vision, you know, you remember what happened to him? Flat on his face, trembling, scared to death. Daniel says, I stood trembling. This one's speaking with me now. Then verse 12, then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. This humility of Daniel, this humbleness of Daniel, understanding the the awesomeness of God, humbled before the presence of God. And he prays. He prays and he prays. And he prays. And this one, if it's Gabriel, we saw Gabriel in chapter 9, if it's Gabriel that comes to him again, Gabriel or whoever it is says, I came, I am here because you sought truth, humbled yourself, and you prayed. And I'm here. I'm here to give you an answer. And he was strengthened somewhat from this. Do you know this is exactly the way the gospel comes to the sinner? I mean, I was a sinner without Christ, completely undone, rebellious against God. And when God began to show me the gospel in Christ, there was this humbling that took place. And there was not only this humbling as Daniel, as he says to Daniel... You set your heart to understand. I didn't want to understand. And then all of a sudden there was a drive to understand. And there was a humbleness that took place. All of my pride was stripped. This is the way the sinner comes to God. You humbled yourself before your God and your words were heard. I cry out to Him. I cried out to Him to save me. Because I can't save myself. You know what? He heard. And He saved. You know what? You did the same thing. And as you think back, you may not not have thought of it in those terms, but you came to Him the same way. If you're a believer, you came to Him the same way. Humbled. Laid low. Seeking Christ. And finding Him. Finding Him. So, this first part, this this character, this humility of Daniel, he's praying. But then, also he's strengthened in this. I mean, we see that. God is strengthening him in this. 
And he didn't stand up and say, hey, I'm my own man and I'm going to fight this and I'm going to take care of this and I've got it. I'm Daniel. I took on the lions. I've taken on kings. Now keep in mind, we're at the end of the 70, 70 years. Daniel's probably in his 90s. He's probably in his 20s when all this started. Daniel, by now, 70 years have passed. He's in his 90s. And Daniel, after all he's seen, after all he's done, Daniel is still humble before God. I hope and pray that God lets me live however long that from the time when I first was humbled by the gospel that the last breath I draw on the face of this earth, I am still being humbled by the gospel. So, verse 13, here comes something very strange, almost as if it's said in passing. And here's the second part of this, in this conflict, this turmoil that we see. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now, if it's Gabriel, Gabriel saying, I came to you. But know this, before I got to you, there was this prince of Persia. Who in the world is this? I don't have a clue, but he's evil. It's very clear he's evil. And it's very clear that where we, the curtains are being pulled back a little bit and we're seeing into the spiritual realm just for a quick glimpse. So this is something that's happening behind the scenes. This is something that's happening in the spiritual realm. This is the unseen that's happening even right now. I mean, if God were all of a sudden to pull back the curtains, just like here, Gabriel tells Daniel, if he were to all of a sudden pull back the curtains and we could see behind the scenes and see the unseen, it'd probably scare us to death. Probably scare us to death. But there is a spiritual battle going on and there is something happening in the spiritual realm that we're not always fully aware of. You may not have seen it. I haven't seen it. There have been times where I've thought, wait a minute. But I haven't seen it. But listen, I have friends that have been on the mission field. And I've heard other missionaries. I've heard them tell. And I've heard them talk of seeing this reality face to face. Walking into a village of pagans. And a face to face encounter with a witch doctor. Who's doing things that can't be explained humanly. And feeling face to face with this spiritual battle that's happening. Now we haven't faced that. We won't face that tomorrow. I don't think we will. But it's just as real. And it is going on. There are things going on. I don't know what all has happened in the spiritual realm in my life. I don't. Neither do you. You don't know how many times God may have preserved you, saved you, kept you from something, and how His angels have watched over you. You don't know how many times that may have happened in your lifetime. But He does it. And He does it every day. I will tell you this. There's a spiritual battle going on right now. I believe this with all my heart. When God's word is preached, there is a spiritual battle going on right now in our hearts and minds. Am I going to believe this? Am I not going to believe this? I don't need this. I do need this. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. There is a battle going on in hearts and minds right now.
So this prince of Persia, he withstood me, and then he says, Behold, Michael, we see Michael in Scripture. You know, Jude talks about Michael, how he was in this encounter with the devil. And he was in this encounter with the devil. He was contending with the devil. Jude tells us it was a dispute about the body of Moses when Moses had died. Just a little glimpse, a little quick mention of Michael by Jude. But if it's Gabriel, Gabriel says, look, Michael came. He's one of the chief princes. He came to help me. For if, for if I, for I uh, had been left alone there with the king of Persia, indicating if I'd have been left alone, if Michael hadn't come to help, I wouldn't have been able to deal with this. I wouldn't have come to you. Now, I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Daniel, when we get to the vision, which is chapter 11, understand it's for the future. That's what he's saying. But notice this, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. And I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord's talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Daniel is in in, in an inner turmoil here. He's had this encounter. This vision's coming. Here comes this one that's speaking with him. He's humbled. He's laid low. It is answered to his prayers. How would you like God? I'm sure there are things you're praying about, right? There are things I pray for every day. There are things that I've been praying about, some of them for years. I've been praying for God to do certain things. How would you like it if He answered your prayers like this? How would you like it if in the morning in your quiet time, you're wherever you you pray and you're alone praying and all of a sudden there's one like this shows up and you're in inner turmoil and you have no strength and you don't know if you can make it. You don't even know if you're going to live. And you're so humbled and laid low and... One, it, Gabriel, whoever, said, hey, look, I, I've come because of your prayers and I'm here to give you an answer. Wait, what would you think? How would you respond? I don't think you'd be going, it's about time. I don't think you would respond that way. I don't think I would respond that way. But look, the reality is He answers our prayers every day. Your prayers are not unheard. He answers. Sometimes He says yes, sometimes He says no, sometimes He says wait. But He answers. He hears and He answers. So here He is, full of this turmoil. Sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. Then verse 18, then again, the one having the likeness of, the, of, of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly beloved. See, here's the second time in this chapter. O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. Not in an arrogant way, but strength came back to him and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia? I've got to go back into this battle that you've just been given a glimpse of, Daniel. Which indicates it's an ongoing battle, right? But it's a battle that ultimately has already been won in Christ. I have to go... When I've gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. Now, this is the introduction to the vision. In chapter 11. 
The Prince of Greece is coming. That's who the vision is going to be about. We'll see who that is. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael your prince. Michael's mentioned again. I want to point one thing. You notice in verse 1 the message was true. And you notice in the very last verse here the scripture of truth. This is bookend by truth. This is real. This is true. The humility of Daniel, the prayers of Daniel, this conflict, this turmoil. The first part of the conflict is this turmoil, this conflict from without. There's an external war going on, and we're introduced to that a bit. But then there's this internal conflict that's going on with Daniel. This inner turmoil that's going on with him. Salvation is coming. I don't care how bad it looks. Salvation is coming. You notice three times in this last part of this chapter, three times God touches Daniel. You see that? Three times he touches him. He could have just touched him once. He didn't have to touch him at all. But in his grace and mercy, he, he exposes him ever so briefly to this, this external conflict that's going on in the spiritual realm. And this is something that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. He also mentions it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul says. But we wrestle against these spiritual forces, these principalities, these powers. There is a spiritual war that's happening that is every bit as real as the mess that you may walk into tomorrow that's face to face. And it is a real conflict. And in that, God is fighting our battles every single day. As I said, He's already won the victory in that. So there's this, this, this turmoil, this conflict from without. And look, it is just as real as the scene. Just as real as what we see. You don't know what God has kept you from even this morning since you've been awake. You don't know how God's protected you. You don't know how He protected you yesterday. You don't know how He will protect you tomorrow. You don't know how in times of deep grief and turmoil He has touched you in ways that you may not even fully recognize or understand. And strengthened you. Why? Because you are his child. And that's what he does for his children. But here's the one that we really face. Not, not that that's not real. I don't mean that. I don't mean to imply that. But this is the one we're probably more in tune with. And that is the inner turmoil. We see Daniel in this inner turmoil. I want you to turn to Romans 7. And I'll close with this. Romans chapter 7. This inner turmoil that takes place 
deep within the heart, deep within the soul of a believer, of a Christian. And this is it. Paul puts it, Paul puts it so plain here in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. He says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. And by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Now Paul is, I don't think he's talking about his pre-Christian days. Paul is talking about what's going on in his heart and mind as a believer. This is what's going on. This is an inner struggle and turmoil because of the language and the way that it's, it's talked about, the present tense of the verbs and so forth. He never talks about his life before Christ like this. He's describing what's going on right now. He's describing, and I identify with this because I know this, and so do you as a believer. Maybe you've never had it put in this light, but you'll, you'll recognize this. Verse 13, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold in sin, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. You ever felt that way? Why did I think that? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. I know I should pray. I know I should read my Bible. I know I should go talk with Him. I know that I should do this. But yet I can't seem to find the will to do it. I don't do it. But the evil that I don't want to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find that a law that is evil that's present within me, one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, this inner turmoil, I know what I should do, but I can't seem to find the power to do it. I know what I don't want to do, and yet I seem to do it. You ever been there? Yeah, we have. And yes, as believers, this inner turmoil. When I came to Christ, I was awakened to a whole world that I never knew existed, and that world was the deceptive sinfulness of my own heart. 
And I remember after I came to Christ, I had good friends of mine, and they would say to me, you know, what, you, you, you become a Christian. Why, why are you so down? Why are you in turmoil? I didn't know how to handle this. I didn't know what to do with it. Over the years, I've since learned what Paul says here. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Christ Jesus. My Lord, it is Christ who delivers me. That's why he says, so then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. In verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Did you hear that? In this turmoil, what is the one weapon that I can use against this? Paul lists weapons in Ephesians, and he talks about those weapons when he's talking about, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but what is the one weapon that I can use? Every time to silence this inner turmoil that rages within my heart. It is the gospel and it is the gospel every day and it is the reminder that in Christ Jesus there is therefore now no condemnation. Just like God touched Daniel three times, God comes to you in the gospel every day and touches you. And says to you, get up, be strong, you can face it, you can do it. And at the end of the day, you're not delivering yourself, at the end of the day, I am delivering you every single day you live. Oh. You want to put a little pep in Amazing Grace? Meditate on that. The battle is fierce. It is fierce. I have no strength. Until God touches me with His Word. And the working of the Holy Spirit. And causes me to stand. The battle's fierce. It's already won. That is true. And remember, chapter 10 is the preparation for the vision of chapter 11. Of which chapter 12 closes this book out with the final victory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we are more than conquerors. The unseen is just as real as the seen. It is. And whatever you're facing, whatever turmoil you're having, who's going to deliver you from that? It's Christ. It's Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Daniel is an amazing man. And what we see in this is so much more than just some nice, neat little Sunday school story. What we see in this is the character of a man who's humbled before You 
praise to You and whom You strengthen with the truth of Your Word. We come to You the same way. Troubled. Troubled by what we see in the world. But we come to You humbled. We come to You feeling like we have no strength and we don't know what to do. But You touch us with Your Word and the working of the Holy Spirit. You strengthen us. And You cause us to stand. And we thank You. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.